Welcome to the GNT Show. Alright, welcome everyone to another GNT Show where we cover off the wonderful wacky world that is the NRL. Once again, we've had a massive week in the world of the NRL, and I'm joined once again by my host with a co-host with the most, a man who this week was unable to watch the footy because he was arrested at the Freedom Rally after punching a horse. Gee, I don't know what to say to that. I've always liked the low. Was it the Lone Ranger when I was younger? I was trying to get up on the horse, but unfortunately, it looked like I punched it and I was arrested and given a COVID shot and put in jail. That's exactly right. That's what they should do to these people to punish them. They should give them a COVID shot. It... <laughs> you can't. You don't. You don't get any jail time. But unfortunately, no. you're going to have to get a COVID shot. You get the vaccine. Yeah, you get the vaccine. That's right. So, all right, G. Once again, it's another massive week in the world of NRL. Um, I have got somewhere in the vicinity of fifteen stories, and I've yeah, got one particular favourite one that um that we'll cover off. But um, I'll start at the top before we get into the player movements. I've, there's there's quite a few wacky stories this week. Mitch Moses, broken back at origin. Yeah, not a good thing. Um, it'll take him a while to recover. Hopefully he does recover quite well. It has a tendency to really stuff up with your biomechanics and your muscles. So it'll be good to see him back. But is he going to be back this season? Well, the rumour is that it's not too bad that he will be back in time for finals. But um, it kind of explains why they were going after Anthony Milford, though. I guess that explains it. He's a composed, experienced halfback play in place of Mitchell Moses until he's back. Hopefully he's back. I don't think Para has any chance to win the comp without him, as much as people like to death ride the kid, but um, they need him back and hopefully he recovers quick. Can I just say, we'll cover it in the Parramatta Raiders game. I don't think the, the Eels can win the comp at all. I think they're going to go out in straight sets. <laughs> and, I'll, and we'll cover it in the Raiders game. I'm still really cranky about that game, but we'll cover it then. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna do this in descending order. Should we do the player and coach movements? Yeah, first? why not? Let's go, yep. First up, we've got Dane Gagai back to the Knights, which will be great. He can bring some defensive starch. I don't think he's made a tackle in three years. So, um, and, and Lachlan <laughs> Fitzgibbon has re-signed with the club after he was dropped and he's played like a dog's breakfast for the last year. Little known fact about Lachlan Fitzgibbon, his dad is the CEO of the company that is the major sponsor of the Knights. That's purely coincidental and no conflict of that, interest that, It's whatsoever. purely coincidental that a player so far out of form has been re-signed on a lucrative two-year contract. In fact, he's, he, if this was back in the early 90s, he might be driving an F1 car if his dad is the major <laughs> sponsor. My, my, my son hasn't even got his license. Don't worry, I'll sponsor the car. Sure, stick him in. It doesn't count towards the cap. No. Craig Bellamy looks like he's going to re-sign for another year with the Storm, and I reckon that's because he wants to do a three-peat before he retires the way they're going. He probably does, but if you look around, would you want to go anywhere else? It's best to stay there. He's probably got another good group that, he, like you say, could probably win two, three in a row, so why not give it an extra year? That's right, and um, I think he'll have to let Mezzatesta down gently. Uh, yes. The other big news, um, Dale Finucane signed a four-year, $2.5 million contract with the Sharks, and Matt Moylan's actually re-signed on drastically reduced money. The around 350 grand for a one-year extension. What do you think of those signings? Fanuka is getting on, but if you want someone to set the right example, similar to the Luke Lewis signing for Cronulla a few years ago, I think it's a good one. You know, to be the captain, to set the example, that it's a good signing from that perspective to sort of aid the culture. I mean, Matt Moylan, why not? They're lacking halves. 
Well, they got Nico Hines next year. They're, they're, they're in the eight. As we sit here right now, they're in the eight, and they'll be a vastly improved team next year. They are, but I think Matt Warner adds a bit of depth, and I think it's a decent signing. You know, if he plays ten games and, and fills in when you need to, I mean, great. It's 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 a good signing to have him there. I think for an extra year. We're getting closer and closer towards the the best stories of the week. So, a few of the NRL women's players came out during the week because that's meant to start in a month or two, or at the end of the NRL season. And with the lockdown and where it is, and of course, they're not full-time players, the NRL women's. Now, Andrew Abdo's come out and said there's definitely going to be a season. And there's some talk of them actually having a biosecurity bubble in Queensland like the players are doing. I can't see how that's going to work if, unless they get some decent pay. I mean, I, I think they should try and make the NRL women's season work. I agree, but it leads me to another point. A lot of these codes seem to you know, publish their involvement in women's sport, but they don't fund it properly. And when it comes to funding, they seem to disappear. Which, You know, if you want to sit there and take the publicity for backing the women's game, how about you fund it properly and actually let them play or be professionals? I mean, it's short-sighted from the NRL. This is the growth area. They are, they are not going to get rugby league to be the, the most popular sport in Victoria or South Australia or Western Australia. But... I'll tell you what they can do. They can do a really, really good job of getting more women to the game of rugby league by growing this out. Football, some would argue the women's sport is actually bigger than the men's sport in Australia. Look how popular the Matildas are, etc. You know, some of these codes, like I say, that ride on the back of we're involving women. How about you fund the game properly? That's my comment. I mean, I heard stories about, you know, female rugby or you hear stories that, you know, the women have to purchase their own shoes or wash their own jerseys. I mean, surely... I've got a story about washing your own jerseys. I've got a story about that coming up. Surely, if you're washing 55 other jerseys for the men's team, you can't throw the women's team jerseys in the same washing machine? Like, I mean, it, it smacks of um, opportunistic promotion in terms of supporting the women's game, but when they really, in the background, where they really need to support it a lot, don't. Now, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but I'd like to see them really put some stuff behind the women's game in all codes. You know, in this instance... The NRL is spending millions and million, millions for a biosecurity bubble. Well, it's meant to be about 15 million in total, but they're getting about 20 million in revenue a month. So to do it for three months, uh, it's a no-brainer. It is. So how about, you know, take the women up there and like you say, pay them at least a wage so that they're able to go up there and play the game in the bubble as well. I think that'd be great, but we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully, hopefully they do the right thing and support the women here. Um, I've got a couple of non-footy stories that are slightly linked to footy, so I do want to mention them right now before we get to the serious, a few serious stories and then a few gag stories. Um, the first one is uh, Quade Cooper's citizenship. Now, it's, I know it's rugby, but he played 70 times for Australia. When he played for Australia, he travelled on his New Zealand passport. He moved here when he was 13, and they told him that it wasn't one of the sports on the lists that he was eligible for for his citizenship, so knocked him back. Can I just say, what a ridiculous reason to knock him back. Give him an Aussie passport. He's already represented Australia 70 times. I don't even know what to say to that. That is the most ridiculous... He got knocked back for an Australian passport. If you want to have any proof of how bureaucratic it is, the bloke has represented the country 70 times, and we're saying no. I don't honestly don't know what to say. I mean, we give out citizenship pretty easily as, as a country, and... I'll tell you what they can do. They can they can give TikTok guy send him overseas and get Quaid back in under the the Aussie passport. You you represent so you're okay to represent the country seventy times, but we don't need you, so you can't get a passport. Putting you out there as a, a promotional tool for the rest of the world. Tommy, <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know what to say. Really, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It, it actually is. It's inexplicable. It, it's it's. 
And they had a swipe at rugby. They had a swipe at rugby because they said there's all these lists of sports that are central to the national character. And the reason he was knocked back was rugby wasn't one of the sport on the list of well, sports. How do we get an Olympian pole vaulter, for example, where, I mean, don't give me, I'm not having to go to the pole vaulters at all. Don't. It's, it's Olympic time. Don't. Okay, I won't. I won't. There's a lot of Olympians where we take and, you know, they want to represent Australia and we're happy to give them citizenship, which is great, you know. But if we've got someone that's already represented the country that many times... Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I, 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 was, I laughed actually, my ass off when I read this. In fact, it's so ridiculous, it could be the NRL. They should merge. It could be the NRL. Me. Is the NRL running citizenship applications? <laughs> Absolutely. Is, Andrew, is, this, is this Peter Volandis in addition to running the NRL, racing, the NBA, the NFL, he's, the he's Olympics? He's added another one. Yeah, he's, Are he's, we sure, Peter? And this brings me to my next story. So, yeah, go ahead. Brisbane Olympics. Congratulations, Brisbane. 2032, they will be hosting the Olympics. Now, I've got a couple of points about this. They were the only city left. And they celebrated like they were up against 17 cities. And I'm, I'm grateful. The Bris- It's going to be a great Olympics. But and Anastasia Palaszczuk went there to give this very important speech when there was no other cities bidding for it. And then she closed the borders as soon as she got... I mean, the whole thing's a little bit of a farce. And then, and then they go... And then they go... When they were voting for the Olympics... The, the IOC members, they, they had no alternative. Brisbane was the only alter, the only city applying for 2032, preferred candidate, and five of them said, no, I'd rather not have an Olympics and didn't vote for Brisbane. So did they actually go through the whole um, envelope thing as well and then say I that don't Brisbane know. won? I don't know. They must have. No, because they released the press release, an embargoed press release, two hours before the official vote was meant to be taken, which brought me the, the speculation in the Queensland press was who was going to light an international event you know, we've got, had a lot of great Olympiads. Who's going to light the torch? And of course, Quake the first Cooper. name. No, it was King Wally. Wally Lewis was the name no mentioned. Way. Yeah, so oh, I love imagine it. Imagine try. Imagine the, the Japanese trying to explain rugby league and Who Wally, the fuck Lewis. Is Wally Lewis is <laughs> lighting the torch. King Wally. <laughs> King Wally. Can you imagine the American commentators? King Wally, you lady. Yeah, or Namibia, but... the African yeah, countries or, or trying to explain like... rugby league. Yeah, <laughs> behind the scenes. Brilliant. Like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> hey, no offense. Uh, well, when I was younger, I hated Wally Lewis because he played for Queensland. But he, he's magnificent uh, footy can player. I put, but can I can I put something forward? <laughs> yeah, there would be nothing more Australian than to have Peter Volandis like the torch. Are you are you trying to get a job with the NRL? You're putting up Peter for everything at the moment because he wants to do everything. He's the okay. emperor. He's so he should the just lie. He should just be in a toga. Walk up. It's the Olympics. It's the ancient Olympic style in a toga. A bit like Gladiator. Yeah. Lights the torch. Lights the torch. His shirt's untucked. I mean, it just makes sense. (laughs) And he's Greek too. So take us back to the ancient Olympics. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. It'll be awesome. So, all right. Let's cover a couple of serious stories before we get to my favorite story of the week. Wally Lewis. That's great. That's true. I'm not making that up either. Let's cover a couple of serious news stories that happened. Uh, you know what? You probably thought this was a quiet week in the world of rugby league, didn't I you? I did. I did. I've been a bit distracted this week, so I haven't quite caught up with the news, except that um, Tavita Pangai Jr. went to the Bulldogs. Uh, I've got a story news. about that. There was something in the press about that. I've got that's coming up. That's one of my favourite stories. So let's cover the two serious stories. First, yep. first let's cover the op- Api Coruscant story, um, yeah. bringing a lady of the night. Into camp, the oldest profession. I didn't know how else to put it. And did you did you see the text messages published on the Daily Mail site? No, because you know what? As well, it is as, the human drama. 
And he brought them in and he's copped a two-game suspension and a 35k fine. And it's led to the chief medical officer of the Queensland government coming out and giving a first and final warning to the NRL players. And then to make matters worse, I feel sorry for these these families that are in hard 14-day quarantine, mm. were passing. They both had kids between balconies. They were passing a little cup. They must have run out or something like that. They were passing a cup between yep. the balconies. Yep. And so now they've been, they've forced them to tape up the balcony so they can't even go out on the balcony now. Oh, jeez, come on. Mean, meanwhile, oh, the players yeah. are having golf clubs delivered. They're going for a surf. <laughs> But it's just... that, that's, that sounds like the New South Wales lockdown. Honestly, that's ludicrous. I mean, it seems to go through the ventilation systems in there, the airflows in the hotel. The balcony is actually external. I don't think you're going to pass it over that. So can I just say one thing? I don't think you can accuse Appy Coruscant of being stupid. He got the lady of the night a hotel room in the hotel they were staying at. I mean, it wasn't the right thing to do, obviously. At least he didn't He didn't do it um, Jay Arrow style. I understand that stuff, but after the Saints thing and the J.R.O. thing, I mean, I don't know. I'll give up. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just silly. It's just silly. Well, I mean, let's hope he's been suspended for two games, and the Panthers need him because we'll cover him off. But they have been looking back to the field since Nathan Cleary's been been out. Hi, Misty. How are you? That's G's. Yeah, cat. she's she's attacking the um attacking the food the, the food bag. She's hungry. That's all right. You ready to go? <laughs> Yeah, ready to go. Okay, so we move on from Appy Coruscant to another very serious story, and that's Australia and New Zealand pulling out of the World Cup. Um, they've done it, it seems, unilaterally. Now, you and I spoke about this. I want to give a little bit of background into this. So the UK government, as part of winning votes in the northwest of England, as part of opening up, has actually given the Rugby Football League in the UK £25 million, and they get somewhere in the vicinity of 30 to 33 million pounds a year through their TV rights. So it's a big deal for them. It's going to prop up the sport over there. And they can't hold it over for another year like the NRL wants and like Phil Gould wants because it'll be smack bang up against the Football World Cup, which will suck the oxygen out of the, 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 the room for in terms of rugby league. So it's really important it does go ahead. The NRL unilaterally almost, or the, the ARL and New Zealand Rugby League is pulled out of the tournament. Now, a lot of the players have said that they will still try and represent their country. They're happy to. There is a there is a groundswell to have an Indigenous All-Stars and a Maori All-Stars represent Australia and New Zealand at the World Cup. That's not a bad idea. Story's not over. And there's a lot of people that, wanna, that do want to play in it. So we'll see how it all plays out. But I think this is actually really short-sighted from the NRL to pull out. Now, you've got coaches in different camps. You've got Ivan Cleary, who came out, and he's actually said... I'm going to tell Jerome Luai and, and, and some of these guys not to represent their country of their heritage because I don't think it's a good idea. You've got Ivan Cleary saying that, and then you've got Wayne Bennett going, it should absolutely be the player's choice whether they want to be want to play, and Madge Maguire is saying the same. So all in all, it's not getting a lot of airtime in the press down here, but it's a really big story over in the UK. I'm all for it. I think if the players can go and represent their countries, I think it's great, especially if they want to play, if they feel like it's dangerous or they don't want to travel, or to be honest, spend some time with their families. Well, it should be their choice, right? Yeah, the choice should be given to them. I mean, I know Ivan Cleary equates Penrith with representing Samoa at the World Cup, but quite simply, (laughs) it's not really the same thing, Ivan. I just think the players should be given the choice. If they want to go, they should go, and if they've got enough players to form an Australian team, why not? Um, but at least let them make that decision themselves. Well, that's right. Yeah, and if not, if they're going to ban everybody, then get an Australian Indigenous team. 
I mean, that'd be brilliant. Or a local team of Super League players, you know, that are already over there. I just think not having... We're in danger of having the international game die in rugby league because the NRL sucks the oxygen out locally. And I don't think the NRL and the New Zealand Rugby League take it seriously. They've spoken about having a test match between themselves while the World Cup's going on overseas. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. I haven't heard that, and I don't even know what to say to that. That's outrageous. If you're going to play test football, go to the World Cup and Correct. leave it with the players. If You know, players are missing. I'm sure there's going to be other players that would love the opportunity to play in a World Cup for their country. And, you know, we've got a lot of depth. If it's you don't win it, you don't win it. We've got to get back to the pinnacle of the sport being playing for your country, not state of origin. Well, how about was it last year, probably the year before now, time's gone past so fast with COVID, where they had Tonga and Samoa play. I mean, how yeah, how was great the was that? There? That was an yeah, awesome it was game too. And it was a massive crowd, you know, people with Tongan heritage or people from Tonga living in Australia and Sydney, you know, really came out and supported both teams. So, and the players looked like to me that they were pretty fired up and really proud of um, representing their, their country too. So uh, to take that away from them is a bit stupid. I agree with that. I agree. So hopefully it's common sense prevails here. Um, now let's, let's finish off with a couple of um, my favorite stories of the week. Yes. So, Tavita Pangai Jr. is obviously signed for the Bulldogs. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, yes. And to change the culture at the club, the Bulldogs, yeah. through the new chairman, is getting a lot of the old boys, a lot of, a lot of the dogs of war and all the Bulldogs from the 80s, you know, the Hughes brothers, all that sort of stuff, back to the club, to reconnect to the club. Yeah, the same way Chris, Chris Anderson fixed the culture up in the last few years too. Yeah, that, that's yeah, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So to help with this, they've brought in Willie Mason to mentor Tavita Pangai Jr., I missed now, that. Are you now, kidding me? Now, what do you think's going to happen there, G? <laughs> I you, you can't. The listeners can't see me, but I'm dumbfounded. I missed that bit because I haven't had time. To this read is the a story. bloke that broke the bubble to get a haircut in inverted commas to get out of his contract last year, and he's going to be mentored by Willie Mason, who was never in any trouble. Let's just say if. Willie Mason was not the leader of that Bulldogs team <laughs> from 2003 to 2006. They have at least three titles in regard to the talent that they had. So he's the perfect mentor for oh, Vita yeah, Pango Jr. Willie Mason is the absolute wrong mentor. The right mentor would be Sonny Bill Williams, who he says he um, adored as a kid. Um, and he, if you want a role model or a mentor, that's the guy you're getting to do it, not Willie Mason. I think Willie Mason and Tavita Pangai Jr., what could possibly go wrong? A lot, lots. I've already seen it. I've went through it. Um, I was at a preliminary semi-final to qualify for the grand final where Willie Mason thought it was over at half time, and then it wasn't. Yes. Wrong type of person. Absolutely wrong person as a mentor. Brilliant. Not a good idea. All right. Well, it's another step in the positive direction for the Bulldogs. So. Mind you... I will say I don't understand their recruitment policy at the moment. It doesn't make a lot of sense forward-wise. They they seem to be just trying to buy anyone and everyone to just get depth. I mean, some of the signings are great, don't get me wrong, but Paul Vaughan, Tavita Pangai Jr., you've got Luke Thompson, you've got Jack Head. Like, how many front rowers? Have we switched from back rowers to front rowers now? Now we have 45 front rowers and no halves. Can I be honest with you? I, I think the jury's out on Luke Thompson. We'll t- I've told you this before. I, I'm, I'm coming around to your view. I'm coming, he looks he, good. He drops the ball a lot. Yes. He does. He's ill-disciplined and gives away penalties at the wrong time. He looks good because when he's got the ball in hand, he can change he runs direction. Hard, yes. He runs hard. People forget all the other stuff. Yeah, he really is a typical UK forward. Like You get, yeah. you get six errors and six ill-disciplines and six bad reads. And he's a big muscles. But but big muscles and he, and he flatters... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But he, 
Yeah. He looks so good carrying the ball, but there's other parts of his game that really, you know, it's a, it's a real problem. He's not a net positive. I agree with that. All right, to, let's get to my... This is I told you I had like 15 uh, things that happened this week, so let's... My favourite story of the week. This was in the Newcastle Herald. Barry Toohey covers the Knights in the Newcastle yep. Herald. And he wrote a story about how the Knights were struggling in lockdown. Um, and, and one of the problems they cited was um, because there's not enough facilities in the hotel they're staying and um, it's the first time some of the players have had to wash their own clothes and David Clemmer doesn't know how to use a washing machine and he's really struggling with life in lockdown because he can't use a washing machine. And Adam O'Brien has res- resorted to washing um, his clothes in the spa bath in his room. Poor nights. <laughs> oh, look, hey, I'm not going to laugh because... You know, you read about this all the time in other media about... And it's not like us oldies know this perfectly well either, but a lot of people don't know these simple things that you think, these life skills, in a way. So some of that doesn't surprise me, but to actually write a story about poor knights... I mean, you know what? Here's the other thing where I, I understand they don't know how to use it, but if you go to Google and YouTube, there is about 75,000 videos on there to show you how to use it. What gives you confidence? I mean, what gives you, you know confidence what? <laughs> that these footy players, after our two years of doing this pod, weekly recap of what's going on? I mean, Appy's Coruscant could absolutely use a washing machine. I mean, if he's smart enough to get his Lady of the Night a hotel room, pay for it, and then tell Liam Martin, his roommate, I'm just ducking out to the foyer. <laughs> Liam, Liam Martin's a forensic scientist. What's that DNA doing on your on your arm, Appy? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I I ran into somebody in the lift. David hey, Clemmer, like, like I said, I'm not having to go at the guys for that, but to actually not use YouTube and... <laughs> there, there are so many good articles written by so many people that have got websites to help you out with that stuff. I mean, it's not that hard. Just YouTube it, seriously. And copy. Like, <laughs> the spa bath. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Brilliant. The, just the NRL. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Was there anything you saw this week that... that caught your attention I, I don't think there's anything else beyond that to be honest that's quite a lot to cover it's there it was i know you you thought oh it was God. a quiet week in the nrl didn't you it's the soap opera that keeps on giving all right let's move on to let's move on to the round 19 games first up it was the eels versus the raiders the raiders got up 12 10 um and the second game of the weekend great win by the green machine the can we go back there please yeah, we can go back there. So it was it was nil all at half time for the fir- and that's the first time that happened yep. since round one in twenty nineteen. The, the the commentators were said it was absolutely great defence, but I thought both teams' attack, particularly Paris, was a bit robotic. They didn't really throw. Thank enough you. At I was going to defense, say that right? they. Yes, defensively, I think there was a little bit of desperation, but I think the well, they made their tackles, but there was nothing innovative or different. Or we've gone we've gone back to the footy at the moment, other than Melbourne. Has come back. Yes, has come I back found, to a lot of structure with a lot of play. teams. There has been. I found that Parramatta and and the Raiders were really structured to begin with, and I think they both struggled to break down the defense. Now the defense wasn't terrible, but it wasn't really being challenged all that much anyway. And Canberra also lost Papali to a HIA and Sutton to a sternum injury in the first half. So it was a really gutsy win by them. In the second half, Josh Hodgson and Sam Williams sent um, Corey Harawira Naira over the top of Jake Arthur. It was a really bad one-on-one miss who replaced Mitchell Moses. We spoke about his fractured 
back a little bit earlier. And then, and then Rampana went over from dummy half after a break down the Eels' left edge. Tough night in defence for Wonga Blake and Jake Arthur. They were really targeted. It doesn't matter what side of the field it seems like. You put Wonga Blake on, he's a magnet for missed tackles. Para then scored a magic try after Blake Ferguson knocked the Raiders over like 10 pins before kicking to Dylan Brown, who outpaced the Raiders to score. Pa- I thought Para dominated the last 15 minutes with Sevo scoring, Nathan Brown dropping a pass with the line wide open. Then with the last play, Sevo got shoulder-charged by... um. Jordan Rapana. He got hip checked. Um, it wasn't a shoulder charge. Can I just say charge. that was a shoulder was charge? That should have been, been, been. No, no. The rule says you are you have to wrap your arm around the tackle. It doesn't say you have to make contact with the shoulder. And nor does the rule say you need to make high contact. If I go in, if I run in and not put my arms out and I hit him with my hip, that's a that's a penalty. It's still a shoulder charge, right? Now, actually, the sensibleness of the rule, I agree with. Like it wasn't a high contact. It, it shouldn't have been a penalty, but the rule actually says yeah, that yeah, should be a penalty. Look, the officiating this week in some of the games has been quite questionable. I, was, I think that officiating has been... I've been saying this all year. It's the six against hiding it. We'll talk about the Sharks-Canterbury game. You guys have been on the losing penalty count all season, and it's because you're the bottom team and they don't feel bad. The amount of times that the, the teams the Bulldogs play are perfect, i.e. have not given away a penalty going into the last 10 minutes of the game this year, has been extraordinary. So... They, they they absolutely do manage manage the manage the game. I agree with you, but you know it was a big hit. But uh, honestly, great tackle, unbelievable defense of Sevo to stop him from scoring. Yeah, uh, incredible from Rapana. Yeah, uh, Rapana had an amazing game. He was superb at fullback, absolutely superb. I agree with Brad Arthur that that the Raiders won the physical challenge in this game. They they were they wanted it more. They were tougher in the tackles, and you know we've got a really tough run in. We're in fourth position at the moment. The Bunnies are ahead of us. We have got Easts. Souths, Manly, the Cowboys, Storm and Panthers coming up to finish. All I can say is ouch. That is as incredibly hard run. Yeah, correct. Unbelievably hard run. So that means we'll finish outside the top four. Likely to finish fifth. Manly might take your place. I think we're likely to finish fifth with that run in. We're not going to win all those games, obviously. So if we finish outside the top four, I don't think we can win it. I think that's how bad a loss that was. By all accounts, Brad Arthur was dejected after the game. The, I mean, that the, the could be our season. Spin on your draw is that it could really test Para and raise their game, but that remains to be seen. But I, they're not playing well enough. Like my takeaway from this game really was Rapiner at fullback was fantastic. I think it took him a while to ease his way into the game. Yeah, but he cut us up. He cut us up through the middle. I mean, he, he was he was really good defensively. He was great. It's Jordan Rapana has those games, right? There's some games where he's Magic and other games where he's, he just has brain explosions. You know, there's a couple of players like that where sometimes you've got to live with those two or three games a year where they, they lose the plot type of thing. I thought without Moses there, Para really struggled in attack. Like like we said, they struggled to break down the Raiders' defence. It was very methodical. Well, it's just set play after set play. Yeah. Block play, block play, And the block funny block thing play, is, bomb. until they actually didn't have much time left and Blake Ferguson broke the game open with a brilliant break, great. You know, you look how fast Dylan Brown is. How often does he really put his afterburners on and challenge the line off? And that's what I think where they struggled in attack. They're very, like you say, block play after block oh, can play. Can I just say, I think you're, 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 you're critical of Dylan Brown. I think Dylan Brown, without Mitchell Moses there, has been it's, playing much better. I think it's Paris attack in general. I If I watch the best, best teams, if I watch, I watch Melbourne, I enjoy watching them play, you find their halves, Munster and Hughes, are very direct in their play. Like They, they run at the line and straight in the attack, and they give their players room to move. Whereas I find Para has, like you say, become a little bit stilted in attack and a little bit more programmed and they rely on Gutherson to really give them that directness 
And they do. But Moses and Brown aren't slow. So they also need to challenge the line, and I think it will help a little bit. They they just seem to just go through their plays. And in the second half, to be honest, I thought Canberra came out and started attacking Wonga Blake's side. And Corey Harawira and Ira and Rapana started to really get themselves into the game. I mean, Paris' defense was still quite desperate, and they did all right, I thought, to hold it to 12. But Paris' defense is, is good, but and I know the games will get tighter the closer we get to the end of the season, but that was that loss was, I felt, really disheartened. Like, that loss knocked me about for 36 hours, I've got to admit. Can I ask you a question? Is Brad Arthur going to get us to the promised land? I thought he could. I think Brad Arthur is a good coach. I also think... I'm starting to get the impression that when the games get big, he goes into his shell. It's almost like he doesn't quite believe. I think he's a reflection of his halfback. You think so? I think so. I, I, th- I think I actually think the ideal coach for Parramatta is someone like Wayne Bennett. Look, I think Arthur's done a great job with Para. He's transformed the team, right? A lot of the players have improved. It's almost like he's reached his ceiling and Para's ceiling, and they need something to kind I of... I agree. I agree. I'm a little bit worried. That he's a bit like Brian Smith. He can't quite get over the last hump. He's not as technical a coach as Brian Smith, but you know what I mean? Like, he might have hit his ceiling. He's hit his peak. I, d- I think top four, with the players he's got, top four, five, third place, win a final every now and again, or win a semi every now and again, I think that's the... They, they are in desperate need of some of, of some changes in the outside Yeah, backs, there is, is and I also think that in the big games, I think Brad Arthur becomes overly cautious, and I think it hampers Para a little bit. They're still good, become a bit more programmatic, and against the crappy teams, they try to play football. It's like they try out what they can do against the shit teams, that when they play against the good teams, they go back into their shell. They're like a turtle, in a way. When they're safe, they come out. You know what I mean? So it's like they're in their shell against the big teams. They're a little bit scared to kind of really come out. And then against the shitty teams, they're they're not scared, and they come, they you know try everything, and they they happily go through their plays, play you know attractive football, offload. Are they that good? I I I, compl- I must admit, I completely discount games against the Broncos. Bulldogs. I think they can be. I really do. But again, he's wedded to the, the his game plan against the big teams. It's almost like he wants to control the game against the big teams. He doesn't want to leave anything to chance against the shit teams. He doesn't have the same fear, and he lets his players play a bit more. That's my takeaway. I think he's a really good coach. I think in the big games, his mindset needs to change. So we're four points behind the Rabbitohs, and we're two points ahead of the Roosters, and four points ahead of the Seagulls with that draw. Let me tell you something. If the Roosters win this weekend, they beat us. We're playing the Roosters this weekend. If we lose that game as well, we might finish sixth. And there's no way we can win it. There's no way we can win it from there. If I look at the teams that are looking better than you, I think Manly is starting to look better than you now. Well, that means you've got to win. You've got got to win like four elimination games in a row from sixth. Not going to do that. Good good win by the Raiders. Good win by the Raiders. Well done. No Jack Whiten again. They they look better without him. Look, I'm telling you the truth. They look better without him. Sam Williams looks better. Josh Hodgson becomes the ball player. Tom Starling moves into the hooker's role. They're they're actually they're 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 actually a better team with Jack Whiten out at the moment. He has not been playing well this year. And I think if I were Ricky Stewart, I honestly, they've got one centre position that's a little bit open. I actually would shift Whiten into the centres and have him rove around sometimes. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Two ball players in the halves and have Hodgson and Starling. And I think it'll give their attack a, a little bit more variety. Well, he effectively plays like a centre at 5'8", then yeah. he just runs this line. You know, he's not he's really, really down on confidence, actually. So anyway... All right, let's move on to the first game on the Friday night, which was the Roosters versus the Knights. Josh Morris was dropped in the lead-up to this. Yeah, um, interesting. And they lost... Well, I mean, he's been playing 
that side of the field, they've been leaking like a sieve. He hasn't been playing well, and he's looked old and slow the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the Roosters are a bit like the Storm, right? Next next man up. But in this game, they also lost Ikevalu and Billy Smith to ankle injuries. Next man down, the Roosters this year. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable, right? <laughs> it is. But having said that, Teddy was absolutely superb. I, I, a few weeks ago, we, we questioned whether he was past his peak as a player. And then he puts in a performance like this, 224 metres, four try assists, four line break assists, seven tackle busts. I mean, what a, what a night at the office. The Knights got off to a good start, though, to take an 8-0 eight eight lead. But they had a massive breeze behind them, and the Roosters actually went over the top of them in the last 10 minutes of the first half, despite going into a gale force win. Dom Young had an incredibly tough night and was eventually hooked by Adam O'Brien. He dropped balls, had poor missed tackles and bad reads, and he was stripped by Joey Manu that led to two. Panua's first try. He also slipped off a tackle in the actual play for the try, so he had a really rough night out 19 there. 19 years old, barely played first grade. You're gonna have games like that, you know. So, but yeah, it was it was really, but like you, you had to be, you had to be hooked, right? No, actually, I just want to say something. I don't agree with hooking players. I don't. I think for a young kid, you've got to take them off the field and talk to them and put them back on, but don't hook them. It can really destroy their confidence for a long time. It's a piss poor move by the coach. I really, I really think that. Welcome to being a first grader earning four hundred thousand. Yeah, fair enough. A, a lot of a lot of the football clubs have what the AFL had to go through them, which is Ray McLean's leading teams, and and what culturally what that teaches you is brutal honesty. So they don't they don't sugarcoat the feedback. He was terrible. He was so bad that I don't I don't dis, like he was really bad. He had just just had a shocker. Just it was just wasn't his yeah. But T, yeah. do you have to give him the feedback during the game? Like you can't wait during the week and be honest then. I understand what you're saying, but look, it's on Adam O'Brien. He gets under pressure too, right? He leaves him out there, and and they lost twenty eight eight. They could have lost forty to. 42 yeah. to 8, right? He's, it's his okay. job and his family on the line as well. Yep. So so I can see both sides of it. J- Joey Manu then scored in the lead up to half time to send the Roosters to the break 10-8. In the second half, the Roosters and Teddy dominated, running in four second half tries with the win behind them. Uh, they won the second half 18-0 and the Knights fell away in the last 15 minutes. Four try- And the, there was four tries down the Knights' left edge. I mean, Tuala and Knight were terrible down there. I know you I know you want a Tuala pick for Origin, but his defence is woeful. It is woeful. Um, I, I, look, I just think the Knights, like I've said all year, they shuffle... They've- had a backline that's constantly being shuffled. There's no continuity in that. Well, I don't think Mitchell, Mitch Pierce didn't play. I mean, they've got a few. They've outs, always right? got outs in their backline, and there's never been any continuity in players playing really in the same position for any number of weeks. You know, to get that confidence and partnerships going in defence as well, and even in attack. But can I just also say, Connor Watson, what a player. Had a great game. I thought the Knights started off really well. And, you know, they being did. up 8 0. With the wind behind them, I thought they'd go into the half like another couple of tries, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Kurt Mann had that try disallowed that Connor Watson thought it kind of created and it unluckily bounced off Ponga. And, you know, that could have been a, a 10 12 0 lead. They gave the Roosters a little bit of trouble for a while, but towards the back end of the half, Tedesco, Teddy really sort of just. Now he's got this thing where it's like, I need to really sort of try and take over the game. And he's done that a few times this year. And he sort of just started involving himself and taking a senior role, especially with Billy Smith and Ikebalu going down. And I thought he just started running a lot more and him and Manu started to take over the game for, for the Roosters. I think try to Rad, where Radley did the no-look pass to Ikebalu, I thought that was a bit lazy by the Knights as well. It's a bit of their own worst enemy. They were playing the tackle, the fifth tackle, rather than what was actually happening on the field. They assumed there was going to be a kick. The players on that side got lazy and that's where the Roosters went and scored a great try. So... Instead of sort of being up or tied, they went into halftime behind. And like you say, in the second half, I mean, Tedesco, Manu, and even Lamb in the centres, they just carved them apart, I think. It was almost like one of these games where it was a slow burn. The Roosters were slowly 
just dominating and getting more dominant and more dominant. They look better when they move Sam Walker to wing and the defense. Yeah, and then they, they, um, he's 18, mate. Yeah, but he's 78 kilos. I know, and then, right? you know, and then that, uh, towards the back end of the half, they just came home, you know, then steamrolled them, essentially. Like you say, it was 28-8, but realistically, it could have been 40 towards the end. What I was most impressed by was, I think, Teddy's, I suppose, continuous energy. He, he's always got that extra little bit of energy or go where, you know, players are getting tired, taking a break, and he, he, he keeps on getting involved in the middle of the field on the side. And sometimes he just gives the Roosters a quick game-changing sort of play or a momentum-changing play or a half-break, and that allows them to get on a roll. And I think, like, at the end, yeah, they fell apart, and I thought Tupanua was great, Tedesco was brilliant, and a good win by the Roosters. They had, again, a couple of people down. They keep on showing their pride and um, in their performance every week, and really, most weeks, give everything they've got. So, a good a win. game against the Eels. They, they, they win this week, and they move into the top four. So, well done. But the Knights missing Mitch Pearce in that game, I thought, you know, they might have had another Mitch try. Pierce makes a big difference to their team. He gets them around the park. Yeah, I agree. Remember that game a few, a bit, a few weeks ago when, when they were into that gale and he managed that team around yes. the park? Yes, very different. Like, that's how big a difference he makes to that team. So, the Friday night game on Channel 9 was the Cowboys versus the Storm. Um, I thought the Storm would blow them away, but this was actually a close one. Um, the Storm got up 20 to 16. Yeah. Um, and the Cowboys nearly caused a boil over, but in the end, the Storm won their 15th game in a row. And you said they're going to break the 17-game record, so they're getting closer. Modern day. I mean, the Roosters did win 19 in a row. I forgot that in 1975. So I think that's in danger as well. Yeah, right. So, but well, anyway, the, the Cowboys named Granville at fullback before kickoff. That was a shock, I have to say. I was like, did I just see this? Jake Glanville's Yeah, I know, I know. And he's not, it's not like he's a quick hooker either. No, but he he played really well. He played okay, but he did he did rotate in and out of dummy half, right? So they they made it easy easier on him. And when Josh Josh Adokar scored early, I thought here we go, they're going to run in the cricket score. But the Cowboys worked their way back into it, and and then they had two tries ruled out before the Storm went around the Cowboys' right edge again. And what happened was Tom Dearden ran out of the line and ended up creating an overlap. That and Josh Adokar made the mistake, made the break, and and kicked in field for Olam to score to extend the Storm lead to ten nil. Then just before half time, Granville got into dummy half as opposed to fullback and sent Cohen Hess over through the middle who looks as you called a few weeks ago looks much better as a prop and it was 10-6 to the storm at half time Kyle Felt then got a try 10 minutes into the second half Great with try. his go-go yeah, gadget yes. arms yeah, yep. to send the Cowboys into the lead at 12-10. And, and, and you thought, oh my God, there's going to be a boil over here. The Storm then scored a, a cracker after Jerome Humes chipped for Iremma. Yeah, Emma? You, you butcher <laughs> his name all the time. Dean Iremia. Iremia, who kicked the ball back in field for Remus Smith to score, who looks much better than he did at the Dogs for some reason. The Fox got his second with 10 to go to extend the lead to 20 to 10 before Bradley scored off a, a two-metre forward pass no, to that, set up a hard storming finish. I can't believe they let that go. I mean, he was a miles forward. Listen, I have a few issues with the officiating in this game. We'll continue, yeah. That was bad, yes. That was that was bad, that one. So, so the only thing, other thing I wanted to say is Ryan Pappenhausen made his return in this game. He played 34 minutes when Brandon Smith went off for a HIA, which, can I just say, Brandon Smith high-fived him on the way out, so I don't know what the HIA <laughs> test is. But Craig Bellamy did this in the grand final last year as well. He does, he does, he's worked out the HIA rules, Craig Bellamy. Look, I love Craig Bellamy. He's fiery, but let's just say he investigates all opportunities for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> 
Correct. And Nico Hines moved to hooker, but but um, uh, Ryan Pappenheisen did look very rusty. Yes. And Bellamy admitted he didn't know some of the new moves. They'd created new moves in the last nine weeks and because he hasn't been having training. Of course they have. Um, and you look at the other teams yeah. and guess what? They play exactly the same as they did at the start of the year. Go, continue. That's right. Well, can I just say, Jerome Hughes was absolutely superb. Absolutely superb. He is in the top tier of halfbacks. I say it week after week, and he's never mentioned as one of the one of the best halfbacks in the comp. But he but he absolutely is. He's taken for granted. It's funny they never talk to talk about him outside of the games. But whenever you're watching the games, the commentators constantly talk about him. Um, it's almost like in the moment they're like, "Wow, Jerome Hughes having a great game." And then afterwards, there's never a mention of how good he is. Um, Glanville at fullback was a bit of a shock. Um, she turned into a good move because his passing and his vision has actually always been quite good. So, well, but they used him right. They didn't. They didn't play him as a speedy Tommy Turbo's type of fullback, right? He just needed to be safe and get into dummy half as well. And yeah, so he's a bit of a different well. style of fullback. Yeah, I thought he was. Too. I thought the Cowboys thought did a great job. I. Like you, when Addo Carr scored early, it was a little bit too easy. And I thought, you know, they're going to belt them here. You know, there was two disallowed tries that I think both of them were incorrect, but they were both called that way yeah. to even it up, if you know what I mean. Like Kane Bradley's first try, there was zero advantage to anybody or anybody on that field to say that he caught the ball on the inside shoulder. The player was nowhere near any defensive line. Yeah, but gee, that's not the rule. It's a bit like the shoulder charge. I get what you're saying. And this is what Bill Gould said. Bill Gould said no one was obstructed. If you catch the ball on the inside, it is an obstruction. In that situation, I get it, right? If you look at that context, that is the most ridiculous decision ever. So they scored, right? But, but, it's, the, but, it's, the, but it's the rule. It is, but... And they and they call that consistently, and we often say we just want consistency from the refs. Well, then the Christian Welsh one got pulled up, which again had zero impact on anything because they wanted to even it up, in my opinion. So they thought, oh, we called the other one to the letter of the law, so we better call this one. And I've got another comment against... But they do that every week. They, every, they, they are so consistent with that call they are so consistent there isn't because there's a try against the bulldogs and this isn't about them winning or losing that in every other week actually is it is an obstruction and this time it was okay even though i agree with it being okay i do think i do think the bulldogs have been on the end of some rough refereeing this year i said that in my intro i do think that's right 100 agreed with the call against the dogs i thought it was a try but in every other game i've seen it's an obstruction uh, look i thought the cowboys did really well but after having those disallowed tries, Addo Carr, once he kicked ahead, that was a great kick, by the way, perfectly weighted to Justin Olam, great try to Melbourne. But then once Olam picked up that ball and started running away, all he had to do was grab it at Addo Carr in 16-0, and I think the storm go on yeah, with it. Yeah. But having said that, he made the wrong play, but Kyle felt amazing defending. Kind of made himself really big, almost like a goalkeeper. Which you can't always say about You know, Kyle made himself felt. like a goalkeeper and basically stopped Olam from any pass that he had to, to give to Adakar on the inside. The Cowboys really came back. They scored a, a good try to Hess. Although, how long do you have to be held up for before you're held up? <laughs> well, 60 minutes, Yeah, actually, that, that so. one was quite a long Clearly. one. Yeah, but... Um, it was quite a long time. He's still trying to get the ball down now. Yeah, that, he was, you know one of those hourglasses? <laughs> the refs give you yeah, 60 correct, seconds correct, correct. to put it down. From there on, they were good. And once Kyle felt scored at 12-10... I honestly thought the storm started to, I wouldn't say panic, but... Yeah, I thought I thought we were on for a boil over. Yeah, yeah I thought the... I thought they, they started... Well, they got the Panthers this week. Oh. Let's let's just say, I mean, brilliant try by Remus Smith. Kind of a bit of luck involved. Well placed by Jerome Hughes. There's three Cowboys there. And literally a volley by Dean Eremio on the 
Cyclone. I know, it was, it was. A volley, it was volley back in. Straight out of the Euros. Yeah, it pretty much was. Fantastic try. And then once I think the Storm got ahead then, they, they sort of righted their ship again. They weren't panicking again. They became a lot more composed. And um, and then the Cowboys almost got back with a forward pass. It was... Did they do that just to make a barnstorming finish? Oh, that my was God. literally was just, like was four, miles four forward. metres forward. It was miles and forward. And it wasn't one of those he floated forwards and it was questionable. <laughs> like the guy literally no, it wasn't. was no, ahead it wasn't. of him and he threw it to him. I don't understand how that was. But it, was, it wasn't even it wasn't line ball, right? Not even and, close. Oh, God, the camera angle. It no. wasn't even close. Where was a touch judge, man? <laughs> hey, this is my thing. Like, what are these touchies doing? I don't know. Oh, man. You, you're not there to when they kick the ball out to just raise your flag where they, you know, mate, like, got, what are you doing? I've got no idea, but look, the Storm got challenged. Good, really good effort by the Cowboys. It looked like they might have had a shot and then the Storm just, you know, a couple just kept on coming and eventually they wore them down and they just beat them. But good, it was a good game. Not too bad. It was a good game. All right, let's move on to the Super Saturday games. Um, we had the Souths versus Warriors. What's the reverse of Super Saturday? Uh, shitty Saturday. Is this like Superman when he gets drunk in old Superman 3 and he loses all his powers <laughs> instead of Super Saturday? I love that movie. Drunken Superman Saturday. Drunken. Remember Drunken <laughs> yeah. Superman? Oh, when it was he used great. To flick, it was flick at the bar, oh, yeah. remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the peanuts. Yeah. It was the peanuts, remember? Yeah. Oh, my God. And you notice his, his outfit got darker too. Which was pretty a nice yeah. touch, if anyone remembers yeah. that. Anyway, so in the comics, he actually there's he goes through periods where he, he grows his hair long and he has a completely different outfit. Oh, okay. Well, no. For, for any DC fans out there, uh, so South got up sixty to twenty two in a really tight encounter. Oh god! Um, no a... one wanted to tackle in the first half with nine tries scored. Uh, Wateni Zalesniak scored the Warriors' first try um, very early to send the Warriors up six nil. And he and you know I felt for Wateni Zalesniak. He he sent a message to his. I think his third child that was just born and he hasn't seen them because it was only born on Friday and he's in the bubble in Queensland and they're obviously having the baby in Sydney. So, But it did come off the back of a poorly executed set piece and a Cody Walker pass. Um, and I and I take the piss out of Dane Gagai, but it's because he was off the field at the time having a cut looked at that that came about. So, But then what happened was um, Reese Walsh's kicking game caused a lot of problems for the Warriors as opposed to the Souths because he kicked it out on the full a couple of times and it really handed momentum to the Bunnies. And, and they put six unanswered tries basically without the without the Warriors touching the ball again. And the Warriors had some really poor goal line defence, particularly through the middle. A lot of them were soft tries that they just didn't get in. And the, line, the line speed was slow and they didn't make contact. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they moved out of the way. Yeah, yeah. So so And, and then it was 34-6 with, with three minutes to go in the first half. And then the Warriors put on two tries to make the halftime score 34-16. Unfortunately, the Warriors' defence did not improve in the second half, and I think the Warriors' game last week against the Panthers when they were down to 13 with no interchange, must it looked to me like they were leggy. It took a lot out of them, right? They just weren't there physically in, in defence, and Souths ran in a further five tries to one in the second half. It's only the fourth time in Souths' history that they racked up 60 points, and they ended up finishing 11 tries to four. And I thought, I've, I've given him a lot of stick because he hasn't played well in a little while, but I thought Damian Cook had a great game for Souths. Look, I thought... The Warriors got off to a good start. Like you said, DWZ scooped on the ball, showed great speed to actually, you know, streak away, really, from the South's cover defence. Well, Tenny Zalesniak didn't show that speed at the Bulldogs, yeah. Yeah, they never, never gave him any space. Um, 
But that try to Tom Burgess was a little bit too easy to the point where you're like, oh, hang on, this doesn't look good. And then Walker chimed in and gave a brilliant ball to Jackson Paulo, as he does just about every week, who's added a little bit of pace on that side to Southie. And Tom Burgess went over again, basically untouched. Like you say, the goal line defense was non-existent. Not even not even coming out. Like, barely just not really there at all. They weren't at the farm. They weren't at the races this game. And the goal line defense is the hard stuff where you've got to really be desperate. And once South scored that try, I felt like it was one of those games where every South player wanted to get the ball so they can score a try because they you know what I mean where everyone everyone's popping up everywhere and offloading because they, they, they know that they could probably score and then I think um, it was great once Cody Walker scored that brilliant try with a great swerve and step in the middle 28-6 and you're just like this could be anything and then interestingly when the Warriors decided to start attacking they scored two tries quite easily two good tries um, one to Montoya and the other one to Nikarima Nikarima had quite strong involvement in both and it's funny I think Shane Flanagan picked up on something that we've been harping on about all year. And one of his random comments was actually, you know, you can attack, you just don't do it enough, which explains the Warriors in 2021. They've got the potential, but they just play an ultra-conservative brand of football, and it costs them. They always play better when they're behind, and that's not a... You know, eventually, you can't keep that up. You've got to try to win the game. You've got to play to win the the game. Come out in the second half, and then Jaden Sewer just to run through... 10 metres with two, three players on his back just that within the first two minutes. And then you wondered how big the score would be. But I think South sort of clocked off. But I think they could have gotten close to 70 if they really were switched on. And the Warriors were just terrible. Well, they just they just, they just weren't there physically. Physically, right? the defence wasn't, wasn't interested to do the really hard, tough stuff. And I wonder if Alex Johnson was there, if the score would have been, you know, 70 and he would have scored five tries. So it's a pity he's injured because the way Souths are going in some of their games, you wonder if he's going to score 35 tries this season. Let me, let me tell you something. I think without Nathan Cleary there, and who knows whether he comes back fully fit and playing the same way he did, the Panthers have come back to the field a little bit and Melbourne is the outstanding team on their own now, yes. in my view. Yep. Souths have got as good a chance as anyone making the grand final if Nathan Cleary doesn't come back to his full potential this year. They, they are probably next team up there's two teams that I think the Roosters I always trust but they've just had too many injuries too many injuries too many injuries Manly's the one I reckon because of their attack Manly can challenge any defence doesn't mean they're going to win but they can challenge any defence and you need that in the semi-games. You need that magic. Assuming Tommy Turbo's there. Oh, if no Tommy Turbo, then that the Manly car doesn't get out of the garage. The Saab stays That's parked right. in the garage. Excellent analogy. I love it. Very nice garage in the Northern Beaches, but still. Let's move on to the next game in shitty Saturday. Yes. Uh, it's Manly versus the Tigers. Uh, Manly got up 44-24. It was shitty Saturday. God. It was shitty Saturday. The team's traded tries in the first 30 minutes uh, of, the half, of the first half. With the Tigers leading 12-10 before the Tigers had four sets back-to-back on the Manly line. But Tommy Talao dropped the ball on the first tackle after a scrum. And directly from that, Josh Schuster stepped Luciano on the Tigers' right edge to set up DCE. And from the first set after the kickoff, Tommy Talao got beaten by Tommy Turbo which led to Morgan Harper's second. And just like that, Manly led 2012 at halftime. I felt for the Tigers because I thought they were the better team in the first half. They showed up. They were gritty, with Manly making seven errors to the Tigers too. And Luke Brooks and Adam Duahi were good, uh, but I thought they were let down by their edges in the first half. Early in the second half, Tamo tried to offload five minutes into the Mm. second half, but it got intercepted by DCE. 
Um, he was run down by Dewehi to show how good he was on both sides of the field before Tommy Turbo, a couple of tackles later, broke a very poor Dane Laurie tackle to extend the lead to 26-12. And in the space of eight minutes, the Tigers went from 12-10 up to 26-12 down. Yeah. And once again, the Tigers', the Tigers right edge was awful. And once again, it was to blame. And can I also say this? James Tarmow has been a terrible signing for the Tigers. Terrible. Like, it's been nothing like what they thought he would end up being. So, you know, some of this is they're getting these players, because of the recruitment issues, they're getting these players at the tail end of their career. And it's not, it's not really working out. And when Dylan Walker went over a few minutes later, the Tigers had conceded four tries in 13 minutes to make the score 32-12. to After the Tigers got the score back to 32-18, they had a chance down the right to score, and T- Tommy Talau threw a simple left-to-right pass forward by 60 yards. <laughs> and, and at this point, he can't pass left to right. He missed tackles. He dropped like the Tommy Talau experiment is over. Play an even younger kid there. He's terrible. But it's not because he's a Madge Maguire's physical type of player. Yeah, I know he's big unit. I get he's a big but that's unit. What he likes. But it's, it's just it's not it's not working. Um and on the other edge, Morgan Harper also completely dominated Junior Panga. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a youngster and a rookie, so I'm like But oh. Morgan Harper, great, great center. I mean, that is an incredible find for, for Manly. J- Jacob Little was also great, along with Duehi for the Knights, and DCE and Morgan Harper were great for Manly. Seven times this year, the Tigers have scored 20 points or more and lost. That's how bad their defense has been this year. Seven times they've scored 20 or more points. Now, if you score 20 or more points, you usually win 90% of your games. Not if you're the Tigers. Seven seven out of 17. I, I think the Tigers had the better of the field position in the first half, and I don't think Manny were quite themselves, so my take was slightly That's different. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I felt for them. They were gritty. They were trying, and then like They that, were trying, the but then I also saw a lot of plays where someone like Laurie or Luke Brooks would make a half break, and you know what? They're standing around looking for someone in support, and there was no one there. Oh, I don't I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. And I used to see this sometimes watching the Bulldogs, because you watch your team obviously quite closely over the years. Whenever that was happened, that was either because the team was so structured that they're not even watching what's happening. They're just readying themselves for the next play. So if an opportunity presents itself, they're not ready to take it. Or there's a lot of players that just aren't quite enthusiastic enough, right? And I thought the Tigers, again, played in patches, but it wasn't the whole team. They're standing around waiting for someone else to do something. So Brooks... Gee, but why are you focused on their attack? This is defence as well, right? I, we, we, we fundamentally disagree with the Tigers. You or you are off, you are always pointing to their attack. I think they've got points in them. I just don't think they can defend to save their lives. No, they can't defend. Look, look. the first the first try to Harper was a little bit too easy, but that's also partly, I think, because you've got, is it Puanga, the youngster there? Puanga, yeah. yeah. where, yeah, was, you yeah, know, yeah. he's sliding across instead of coming out. And when you're doing that on your line, you allow any team with momentum to, it's too easy for them to bust through the gap. Oh, Morgan Harper carved him apart, right? I mean, there was no other way. He carved him apart. And, you know, second game, so sometimes you just right, got to right. accept I'm not, that. I'm not overly critical. I'm not, but Tommy, it's not t- Tommy Talao's second game. The scary thing about Tommy Talao is it looks like he's got potential, but I don't think he's getting better, which is a worry. You're not expecting him to be a world beater, but can I say he's a player now that I think is better than when he came in last year? I don't think he's improved that much. He's still very inconsistent. He has the odd flashy play, but then he just seems a little bit incomplete. Like, you know, the jury's still out on whether he can 
really be that place. I don't think he's. I don't think he's a first grader. I think he needs a couple of seasons in reserve grade, and maybe he is a first grader at that point. But he he's learning on the job at the moment, and the Tigers have got a lot of players like that. Like you say, the Tigers tried a little bit. I thought Brooks and the way he played really well. I thought Brooks really ran at the line a little bit and was almost like a little bit I of agree. a mini Sean Johnson in terms of some of his stepping and trying to create space for his outside guys, which made a big difference. Um, to their attack, at but this times. is why I think I think I think there's glimpses there for, for Luke Brooks. He's just he's at the wrong club. The, the club's over him, and he's over the club. That's why he needs a new new, new challenge. The, the Tigers it just it isn't working. It's bits and pieces here and there that seem okay, and then it falls oh, th- apart. And then the next week, <laughs> thanks, the Scoop. bitch that was, thanks, no, Scoop. But the Tigers it's not working. What gave it away? Maybe the shellackings they get every week, but it's more you know their <laughs> what, attack. What, what, there's bits of their attack that might work. Then the next week. Another bit might work, but then the week that w- the previous week, bit of attack that was working, like nothing seems to work in unison or work from week to week. It's like something is fucking up every second week or vice versa. It's just. But I think it's on the defensive end more than anywhere else. I think it is. I think what was telling too, though, is when Mandy scored the try, they put a kick up to Muamalo and they just let Jason Saab just basically take the ball without being challenged. And then he passed it inside to Uluwakatu, who then passed it, I think, to DCE or Morgan Harper. When they scored under the post, if you took the shot that they had on Fox, there were about eight Manly players in that picture. Oh, yes, 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 And yes, there was yes, not yes, right, one right. Tiger when player. When Tommy Turbo made the break, when Tommy Turbo made the break down the left edge. Yes, there was not one Tiger player within, not even in picture. And that, to me, was quite telling. Eventually, like you say, they fell apart. Dylan Walker's try as well after that half. I mean, he just ran straight back at the defence with four players there and just put the ball over the line without really even getting it. Correct. Well, they're just defensively. I mean, it's just it's, he's got to fix the defence. Fell apart. If I was Madge Maguire, you know who I would get as my defence coach? Dean Pay. Probably not a bad idea. He's not a first-grade head coach, but I think as an assistant defensive coach, there is no doubt defensively the Bulldogs were much better under Dean Pay than they are under Trent Barrett. He was an assistant coach at Melbourne, and I think he might have been the defensive coach. But I still like Manly's, the way they came home over the top of the Tigers. Um, Tommy Turbo was a little bit subdued. He had big impacts, but he didn't totally dominate the game. I thought DCE, Morgan Harper just gave... I thought DCE and Morgan Harper were the best. I thought Paseca played really well as well. And Dylan Walker went off on a HIA, but I think he's growing into this role of a utility guy off the bench. I think he's given them a different look and another, like you say, a playmaker, another passer. So now they've got Schuster, him, DCE, Tommy T. Like even Morgan Harper can use the ball. They've got a lot of players that can pass and use the ball. So... I thought Manly were, were way too good. Tigers, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. They Well, they got the Warriors this week. I mean, they bought Tamiya for culture, right? I mean, is the culture right at that place? Or is it? are they upset with the coach? Or I mean, what's going on? Mate, mate, I don't know. But I look at that and I go, Tamiya, whatever the reason you've bought Tamiya, it's not working. There's no other way to describe it. It's just not working. And with Madge, I know I have a go at him and all that kind of stuff. Every week. How many players does he need to change before he's thinking that my game plan isn't working here? Whether it be defensively or whatever. You know, as a coach, he's quite intense and really detailed. You'd think at least defensively he'd have the guys up to play, even if his attack's rigid or whatever. But defensively, they're horrible. And they don't seem to be putting in week to week as a team. Individual bursts or groups they are, but as a team every week. It's, it never, it's never happening. I think it's two things. I think it's one is, I, th- I think part of it's match. He may just not be the right style of coach for those players. I don't think they've got the, ta- 
the talent or the canon. Agree, yes, I do so agree with that. I think it's a little bit of a few different things. I think I think Madge probably needs someone. Ar- you know who Madge needed? Madge needed Trent Barrett. Yeah, as probably. An yes, coach. Yes, and Dean Payers is defence coach. It's probably so not a bad idea. I think the club could have surrounded him with better. Like it's just it's just the whole thing needs a bit of a. They're, they're close but no cigar. And when you're close but no cigar, you're not good enough in this comp. And they, they can't recruit to save their bloody lives. Their best player is Adam Dewey, and he followed Madge, though. If I look at Adam Dewey, look, he's had the odd couple of bad games here and there. That's normal. But he, you can really see he's busting his gut in almost every game. I think there's a few Correct. Players. Could I say that of the whole team for most weeks, even if they don't have the talent? The answer would probably be no. There's a lot of guys that have just given up in that team. And I don't mean they're not trying at all, but it's almost like they're resigned to losing. They're playing, they are a losing team, but they're playing either with no confidence and they just give up or maybe they don't like the coach. I don't know. There's some, it's one of the two. Well, or oh, that's the other thing. Maybe I, I suspect there's a bit of drama in that dressing room as well that we don't, we that's my about. guess, but it's kind of telling. And even players that used to be enthusiastic now are starting to sort of, you know, once they get behind their heads drop and they just sort of, in a way, turn it up, right? Yep, unfortunately, I think that's true. So last up on Shitty Saturday was the Panthers versus the Broncos. So the Bron- the Broncos trouble the Panthers, full stop. Despite the Broncos' woes, I think they they that they only won 20-12 to 12 earlier in the season, and so it proved in this game. And I reckon the reason why the, the Broncos trouble the Panthers is because they can match their athleticism. Good, You know what could pick up? I would say that that's probably true because the Broncos are as athletic they're not as agile as the Panthers, but they are as athletic. They're not. They're not. They're not as good a footy players. No, but they are as athletic. Yes, absolutely. They're as athletic as the Panthers, and so they can't. Ju- the Panthers can't just out athletic athleticism them. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, I absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. The Broncos showed a lot of grit in defence in the first half, and and the Panthers looked disjointed in that attack without Cleary. Um, and going into half time, the Broncos were only down four 0 and that was only because they kicked a penalty after F- Flegler got binned for a high shot on Yo. Well, Yo was ruled out for the rest of the game for a start, and I thought Flegler should have been sent off. If that was magic round, he would have been sent off. It's changed. I probably don't agree with the send-off. I don't think he had a swinging arm at all. I think Yo was coming down, and he went in hard um, to stop him from scoring a try. So I don't think he swung his arm in any way. It was just him dropping and him trying to get down quickly and hit Yo quite hard. I hear what you're saying, but I think if it's direct to the head and the player misses the whole game, like I kind of go, yeah, you know what I mean? I know. Uh, It wasn't deliberate, but yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And the only reason they were up 4-0 was Dylan Edwards kicked on. It was a beautiful kick and kicked the two-point field goal with the last play of the half. Smart, number one. Smart and nailed it. How sweet did he hit that? That would have been good for the Oh, he hit it really good. Really good kick. Yeah, that's right. Great kick. I didn't actually know he had it in him. I haven't seen him attempt one, but I'll tell you what. Not like that. I'd be getting... Nathan Cleary, step aside. He'd be... Big kick in the end. If you think about the point difference... That's right. So the Panthers kicked on in the second half with three, three tries in 10 minutes to extend the lead to 18-0 before the Broncos scored two tries to get it back to 18-12 with eight minutes left. And the Panthers panicked a little bit. Yes, they did. If the game had they gone did. another five minutes, the Broncos would have scored again, in my opinion. Like, they were they were looking for the finish line, the, the, the Panthers. In the end, Yo was out. Tyrone May limped off with 20 minutes to go. And the Panthers... Missed an NRL record of 66 tackles. That's the highest any team has ever missed in NRL history. I actually think it's a really poor lead up into next week's blockbuster against Melbourne. For the Broncos, they finally look like they're on the up. I think they've bottomed out now. Um, I'm not saying they're going to be a premiership contender in five minutes. It's like they're trying a bit more and they're more in cohesion with each other the last few weeks. So, so there's still a long way to go. 
And Payne Haas was again great. He is easily their player of the season. This game was very close. Broncos are playing a lot better. I think some of these younger guys that they're bringing in are bringing in a lot of enthusiasm because it's their first few games. They're not quite good enough to win. They brought a level of, um, I don't know, like a, a, just a different level of enthusiasm. Like the Tevita Pan guys, guys that had been there a long time and weren't really wanted in a way. Having someone like Brody Croft who's finally getting a good run and they're playing with a bit of sparkle every week and their back line's pretty strong. I didn't think they quite were sophisticated enough in attack to challenge the Panthers' defence. I know the Panthers missed a lot of tackles. But they were trying, right? They were trying. They were they, trying. They, they looked like they bottomed out a little bit. I, so I would agree with that. Me. And, um, you know, ha- having someone like Flegler as a prop, not as a fringe middle forward, or if you're on the fringe, you can be targeted if you, your lateral agility isn't as good. You get caught in space. Flegler in the middle is a lot stronger that way. It's a bit like Cohen Hess. A little bit like Cohen Hess. He's, he's more agile <laughs> than Cohen Hess. Cohen Hess is like even so drama. So is the Empire State yes, Building. Yes, that is true also. The Empire State Building might not have as big a thighs as Cohen Hess, but that's um, a different discussion. And I thought Penrith really struggled to score. I think their desperation in defence kept them in the game stop the Broncos from scoring. Jerome Luai can't get that team around the park without Nathan Cleary. They overload on Jerome Luai's side and Tyrone May's just not as good a player as Nathan Cleary. Whereas you've got to split the numbers evenly when when Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai are there. Just Dylan Edwards is a good addendum to the Penrith team. This is where some of his limitations show when someone like Cleary's out and they're not as direct. You're looking for your fullback to spark up some of the attack and he's not really capable of doing that to be quite honest. Um, so it's bringing the Panthers back to the pack. Yeah, but it's a salary cap league too, right? So let's not be too too unfair. They couldn't they couldn't afford anyone else at fullback. Dylan Edwards for the money they're paying for fullback would be great. Here's my tip. Guess what? I would have taken what? Matt Dufty for the rest of the year, not Tavita Pangai Jr. Because the Panthers don't need Tavita Pangai Jr. They need a fullback that can break the line. So you would have bought in Matt Dufty Absolutely. and replaced Dylan Edwards. Absolutely, I would have. Yes. Dylan Edwards by far is a better fullback than Matt Dufty at the moment. By far. Do you know what, mate? I actually think if you stick Matt Dufty in Penrith, I think he looks a million times better than he does at the Dragons. That's my opinion. I think Dylan Edwards by far is a better fullback than Matt Dufty. I think he has attributes that Matt Dufty doesn't have. I think you're a four-try better team defensively with Dylan Edwards than Matt Dufty. Do you know what? I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you stick Dufty into Penrith and he gives Penrith what they're missing. I disagree completely. I can't agree with that at all. They won the game. They did win the game. They don't, they, when, when they're fully fit, they don't need Dylan Edwards to be. Matt Dufty is one of, along with Dane Laurie, probably the worst defensive fullback in the comp. <laughs> I love Dane Laurie first year, and I hope he gets better. But yeah, his defense struggles at times. <laughs> Wait. Well, it's not, it's not just contact. It's not just contact. They're in the wrong spots. Okay, look, we'll move on. But that's what I would have done. I don't think they need Tevita Pangai Jr. I don't think that was a good move. I think in the second half, Penrith came out a little bit more intense. Well, I thought the Tevita Pangai Jr. moves odd. I don't know why they needed him. They don't need him. I think they think that they can beat Melbourne with another big prop or front rower that's agile. Guess what? That's not what beat Melbourne. You need speed to beat Melbourne. Maybe they're going to play him as a bit like a Nathan Hindmarsh in the early career, play him a bit wider. Look, maybe, but mate... He's going to be up against Kenny Bromwich, and he'll smash him anyway. So I think what they think they need to beat Melbourne, which is what Penrith should be doing, is not Tevita Panguai Jr. Even though I think Tevita Panguai Jr. at his best can be absolutely incredible, doesn't give them an advantage over Melbourne. Anyway, in the second half, Penrith came out a lot stronger. Like you said, they started to throw the ball around. And, and I think the, the Broncos then sort of started to fall off some of the tackles, and they, they carved them up a little bit. But it also required some brilliant play by some of the, for some of the tries too. I mean, Crichton. Well, they just put their foot on the accelerator. They did. Didn't 
Brighton's spin and his flick, that wasn't terrible defence. It was just brilliant football. Like, a pirouette to beat one tackler and then a no-look flick pass 15 metres, literally straight on the guy's chest, was brilliant. And I thought at times, though, you could see Tony Staggs um, getting targeted in defence because he's just coming back. He's still getting used to his body, you know, after a knee knee surgery. And he, at times, I thought the Penrith, Penrith sort of took advantage of that a little bit with Staggs. Yeah. The second try where they scored off the kick where Dylan Edwards kicked the ball through, I think that was great play by Edwards, but it also shows the Panthers' mentality and what makes them good in that he could have got a six again and dived on the ball and then started to look for the next set. Instead, they look at the opportunity and they're always thinking, attack and how can I score? And I think that's a big difference between some of the good teams and some of the poor teams, amongst other things. Towards the end, I thought they switched off a little bit. Broncos still kept on coming and good luck to the Bronx and... They could have pulled pulled the game off and got it into extra time. If that game if that game goes another ten minutes, I think the Broncos win it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Penrith switched off and couldn't switch it back on. You know, the Broncos ran out of time, but it was a good comeback. And also, like you say, the Broncos have changed earlier in the year. That probably blows out to thirty, but they they kept on coming all the way to the end. They so. hung in there, right? They, they I just feel like the worst is behind them now. Well, I'm I'm sure they're going to have hammerings and stuff like that, but I think they've bottomed out. But I also. Got to wait for Penrith too. They've shuffled their back line around a lot. And this is one thing I will say about the game is their attack seems to be mechanical at the moment um, yep, without Cleary because Cleary is more direct. He runs at the line and challenges the line. And it gives his outside players space to move. Tyro May sort of shuffles the ball along and the, it gives the opportunity for the defense to slide. So they're, they're missing that directness from halfback at the moment. They've had a lot of reshuffling in their back line, players in and out, and I think they're lacking a bit of fluidity as a result of that too. So look, they won. Would I say they look as dominant as they did earlier in the year without Cleary? Not even close. No, I agree. So let's move on. So if first up was the Dragons versus the Titans. The Titans got up 32-10. to 10. The Dragons were really poor in this game. And in the first half, the Titans also looked a bit rusty in attack. Braith Asta said at halftime on the Fox coverage, he said, can I be honest, the Titans were, weren't great, but the Dragons were worse. That pretty much sums up the first half for me. <laughs> that was a little bit like the first half, right? The yes. Titans went in 14-6 at halftime. But in the second half, the Titans dominated running in three tries to one. And what will give Justin Holbrook some confidence is that this is the second week in a row where they really tried in defense. Yes, I did think that. I didn't think the Dragons were good, but defensively they were pretty solid. They showed up, right? But Ash Taylor was up and in and, and like, he, you know, like I just thought they were really trying in defense. And Dave Fafita started on the bench and then came mid, came on midway through the first half. Uh, and he came onto the right edge. He usually plays on the left edge. Yep. So opposite to his usual usual side, mm. and absolutely dominated. Uh, he was fantastic. This is game. one of those incredible uh, he, Hulk games that he gives you every couple. Well, of he weeks. was he was uh, he was like a real life type. Oh, far no out. pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Uh, and and young Toby Sexton probably had the best debut by a half half back in a long time. He finished with a try, fourteen points, and just played beautifully. He got a line break. He was. I, I thought he had a really good debut. Jamal Fogarty may not make it back into that team. I, I get the feelings the Dragons might be done for the season, though. They have Souths, Raiders, Panthers, and Roosters coming up in the next four weeks. They're gone. I think they're going to slip out of the eight now, and I think their season's done. You remember you asked me last week if the Dragons... Was it too early to write them off? Yeah, I think, I think, I think they they're are. Done. They're done. Stick a fork in them, they're done. Do you know what? I think what happened is Paul Vaughan's barbecue must have been a gas one and not a charcoal one. So it wasn't a proper barbecue. So the players are still upset about that. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that was the issue. Of course. Like you, I, I thought the Dragons were quite ordinary, really. I think they, they tried a little bit. But the Titans' defense held 
and was solid enough to sort of repel whatever the Dragons threw at them. A fair few changes. I thought Toby Sexton played pretty well. You know, they had a bit of luck for the first try where Jared Wallace scored. And the Dragons hit back after a great break by Matt Dufty and a good pass by Jack DeBellin to Ben Hunt. And I thought Ben Hunt was trying hard at the beginning, but nothing was really clicking uh, and not good enough to challenge the Titans' defense. And I think then when Fafita scored that try, where I don't even think it was bad defense by the Dragons. It was just... Uh, like unstoppable he's just a monster yeah he's basically that's monster. what it was I was watching and I thought you know what there's Ben Hunt Cody Ramsey and Jordan Pereira there's nothing they could do he rode all three tackles they nearly dragged him out and he still leaned over and just plonked the ball down before the corner post it was an incredible show of strength and power you know I think that was it and then the second half the Titans just sort of like you say started to dominate more for feet and he scored another amazing try through the middle great tackle by Jack Bird and then his flick pass to Marju on the wing again same thing not bad defense by the Dragons but they all had to come in and he held all three of them off and just flicked it out the back to him but another one of these games by Fafita where he's unplayable there's nothing the other the opposition could do really well, and he did it on the other edge, right? Um, so I mean, he's still his lateral movement in defence is still. It's a, it's he, a he watch out for. He was one of the tries, yes. yeah. So the dragons' first try. So, but once he got to twenty to sixty, honestly, the dragons just you know there's nothing left with them in attack. Like we've set up now for a few years without Dufty in, being injected into the game all the time. They literally have had nothing in attack for two or three seasons. Not wanted. I mean, the way he's been handled, not great. I think the way Saints have handled have destroyed his confidence. I think he's got problems with his game, right? He does, but... I think in attack, he's brilliant. I think in attack, yeah. he's brilliant. He's got to be that brilliant to make up for some of the defence. Because he didn't grow up a fullback. So he doesn't. it's not a natural thing for him to, to be in the right position. So I do think there's some work. I think this will actually be the best thing for him because I don't think he's going to learn anymore in that club. He needs, he needs someone like Billy Slater. In the same way Andrew Johns is mentoring Mitch Moses, he needs someone like a Billy Slater helping him out. That's that's why Ryan Pappenheisen's so good. That's why Billy that's why Nico Hines is so good is because they got bloody Billy Slater yeah, there I know. teaching so, them talking to them. You know what I mean? Like of course they're going to be good fullbacks. But take out that, right? Like it's more I think he was almost playing to prove to the Dragons he's good enough to play for the last couple of seasons and if I'm honest, I mean I'm a fan of Matt Dufty but the last few games he's played, I don't think he's mentally there anymore. I mean... I don't blame him for that, though. I've got to be honest. I don't blame him for that. Absolutely understand it. But I think without him being engaged and full-on in the game, the Dragons literally have nothing in attack at all to offer any defense. And I think they're really struggling now to really score any points whatsoever. So they need to just, I think, probably blood a few young guys if they can and give them more game time, see out the season and see the positives and try and roll on into um, 2022. I think they're done. Yeah, stick a fork in them. They're done. All right, last game of the round. Fortunately, I didn't go through with my uh, original tip of the Bulldogs. I told I you. change it Are to the Sharks. Oh, man, yeah, go. Did you tip the Bulldogs? No. Are you serious? No, you didn't. I just checked, I just Please, checked the tipping comp. Please, it was 30 comp. to 6 at half time. I'm on, I'm on. Yeah, but, but that was because of the bloody Luke Thompson shoulder charge and sin binning and you just scored three tries while he was off the field. Anyway, let's take yep. it from the top. Bulldogs 24, Sharks 44. Um, the Sharks got off to a good start going around both the dogs' edges, yeah. one on the right, one on the yeah. left, to take a 12 nil lead yeah. before Luke Thompson scored to get it back to 12-6. He then went from hero to villain when he was um, binned for a late shoulder charge, which I thought was fair enough. Yep. Um, whilst he was off the field, the Sharks ran in three tries to make the score 30-6 to at, at half time. But in the lead up to the Sharks' fourth try, um, Sean Johnson looked like he did a hamstring. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. 
Yeah, that could be him for the season, right? It's 30-6 to six at half time, but geez, Luke Thompson is ill-disciplined and prone to mistakes. I mean, it's just, you guys were in that game at 12-6. And just to prove the point, you came out in the second half after the Sharks absolutely put the cue in the rack. I think Talakai dropped the ball in the first set, and then the Bulldogs marched up the field at, field at will. You were making 70, 80 metres in but your set. But they also started to throw the ball around too. This is the other thing. Well, you made you, you got two quick tries to make it 30 to 18 before the Sharks scored to make it 36, 18. And then Avarillo went over to make it 36, 20. Like you, you didn't give up, right? No. Um, but eventually the Sharks ran out 44 to 24 winners after the Connor Tracy try, who was really good for the Sharks and, and, has, and has been an incredible find for them. And I think they were better. Not better, but they could easily make up for Sean Johnson missing out by moving Connor Tracy into into 5-8. So that helped. And I think he's been a really good player for them this season. And once they did that and he got that try, it kind of broke the back of the Bulldogs. But can I be honest, neither team really filled me with confidence. It was a good win to the Sharks, a win they needed. At least initially, I, I felt the dogs were boring, as they always are. One out, running, very predictable. To say that Nick Meany's getting a lot more involved, so obviously they're looking for more from the fullback, not just Meany, but that position. And I just have this distinct impression that Trent Barrett looks at other teams and goes, oh, that works, let's try this. Because that's what his other teams are doing. The fullback's playing up in the line and playing as a ball player. Now, all of a sudden, they're doing this, but they haven't been doing that with the same players from... 15 weeks ago, if that makes any sense. So he hasn't introduced any new players. It just seems he's changed and tweaked his game plan to some degree based on what he sees from other teams. So, But you were better. You were, like, like I, I'm not sure Luke Thompson... Like, you've got some forwards there. I know you've got a lot of second rowers and you want props and all that sort of stuff. And you've got a lot of space in the salary cap. Is, is Luke... Luke Thompson might be playing reserve grade next year. I'll tell you the other thing that I noticed. You've got to get this wrestle out. Like, you're giving away a lot of six-to-goes and penalties and things like that because you're you're wrestling like it's 2019. Josh Jackson's the worst at it. He must give away three or four penalties a game at the moment. Josh Jackson, at times, needed a break in that game. He was absolutely exhausted, and you could see it. Don't keep him out there for 80. Give him a 10-minute break. There's issues with the forwards in that. I don't think the forwards are that agile and fit, and when the game speeds up, they really struggle with some of those forwards, so they try to slow the play the ball down. I think some of those penalties are... Are warranted. Look, I thought the Sharks, Sean Johnson was tearing us apart. His pass to to Katoa at the beginning was was, was magic. Um, that was a great pass. And then Braden Trindle, a brilliant pass to Rain um, Mulatalo. Defending wasn't that bad from the Dogs. Just perfectly perfect passes on both ends from the from the Sharks. But I've, I I know Luke Thompson went to the Symbian. He was ill disciplined play. He did score a great try. So when he was running the football, he ran with so, power. So, so you know when you say defense wasn't that bad from the Dogs. The reason those tries worked was because the wingers were on the outside of their wingers. No, I mean, once Luke Thompson went off, apologies. Oh, once, look, well, there was nothing you could do. You were down a man. Oh, that I get, that I but get. But I also yeah. think, I mean, they were trying, but I think the Sharks deliberately targeted Shoup and Ockenball, who were all over the place. I've got I've got sympathy for when you were defending with 12. Yes, I've I do. I've got sympathy for that, I do. right? You're down, you're down a man. It's hard. I get it, but the Sharks obviously deliberately targeted that size. The two rookies, and Ockenball isn't the greatest defender, um, he hasn't had a really? long enough, no, and, and Aaron Shoup isn't either. He so. went long pieces of this game, long periods of this game without touching the ball or doing anything, right? He needs to, he needs to up his involvement. Uh, he's always been. Same same issue we've always had with J- Jaden Ockenball. Quite passive, but having said that, every time he gets a run of games and starts to feel his way in, he's been injured. You know, one of those kind of, he never gets a yeah. long enough run to really establish himself. But I thought the Sharks really targeted that side and had a great return from it. 
Um, they scored a couple of good tries, and Sean Johnson was really killing us. When he went off, thought, you know what, okay, there might be a chance, but then they scored a couple more tries at 30-6 to six and a half time. There was a chance in the first half where the dogs, where Luke Lewis picked up the ball and ran off, and then the dogs literally had a four or five-man overlap, and they couldn't even get the ball over the line. The Sharks covered it easily, and I think that was a difference. That showed a lot of the difference between the two teams. Although, although you could have put the cue in the rack like the Sharks did. You came back in the second half. So I think the last couple of weeks you've shown a bit of spirit. Yeah, you've shown a There's bit been of a bit of spirit. And look, in attack, they do look a little bit more dangerous. They've got, you know, Josh Jackson passing as a, as a forward, ball-playing forward at times. And Meany's more involved. And Avarillo's started to run a little bit more. So there's signs there. But I think in the second half, they started to play a lot more football. And they started, admittedly, the Sharks switched off. But they started to make ground and really challenge the Sharks' defence. Meany um, scored one, set up the other one for Dylan Napa. And I do hammer Big Papi, but... Brilliant spin move. He, he's, he can be agile when he feels like it um, to, to get around the defender and score. And, you know, 30-18, thought, you know what? Yeah, I thought you guys were a chance. Because they, I thought the, the Sharks, Sharks looked like they off. were... The two, the, they didn't contest two of the bombs, right, for those first two tries. But the same problem, T, I think, which is what we were talking about before, is that our forwards go for... The, this is Luke Thompson. They go for the big hits and they don't make effective tackles. So I thought there were a lot of times where the Sharks were throwing the ball around and they were literally just constantly bouncing out of tackles and and players trying to put on a big hit rather than just get the man down. And it allowed the play to keep on going and eventually it resulted in an easy try to Toby Rudolph to the middle. And I think once the Sharks scored that, 36-18, killed the game off. The Dogs did come back and score a try, um, a brilliant try to Avarillo based on a great great Luke Thompson break, brilliant break, but also because there was... Backing players backing up that break. That isn't always the case. As a, as a team that's struggling, you always need players backing up any break that you make. You know, so but thirty six twenty four. I don't think there was any chance of them coming back. And then the Sharks eventually scored and a great try to Connor Tracy with Hamlin Welly looking for an offload and Connor Tracy great following offload. the ball. Great offload. Hit the ball at pace. Nick Meaney's fast and he ran too much speed for Nick Meaney scoring the corner. Great try for the Sharks and. That put the game to bed. I thought um, Luke Thompson was great running the ball. A lot of the times he ran hard. And when he had the, the ball line. in his hand, he's good. He's always good when he's got the ball in his hand. But he's one of those players who looks pro- good, and that's yeah. what you remember. But the thing is, he's always bouncing out of tackles. He always gets stepped in defense constantly. Drops the ball. He drops the gives ball. Away penalties. Gives away penalties. So if you actually look at the whole of the game, He's not as impactful. It's just so you remember the big runs he has. You don't remember the... You know those players that do all the nitty-gritty stuff, you know, that you don't really notice. It just happens in a way. Like the Storm, you know, you don't notice the Christian Welch. You know, he just sort of does his job, but he's so good at pressuring kickers and doing all the little things and backing up and defending. The one percenters. The one percenters, right? But you notice Kenny Bromwich charging through three blokes or Nelson or Solomona, you know, barging over five guys to score a try. So I think Luke Thompson's a bit like that. You remember his runs, but he's defending and Hedrington, they fall off so many tackles and I think that cost them at the end because the Sharks wobbled a little bit. But big win for the Sharks. They really needed that win. Keeps them in touch with the eight now and they, they still might sneak well, in. Well, the Sharks seven. are in the eight. Well, it does keep them in touch with the eight. They're in the eight. <laughs> They're in seventh spot. I thought Jack Williams played really well for the Sharks. Sean Johnson was great at the beginning. The good thing is, I think we're I think we're far, far enough in front of the Sharks that they can't. They can't. The no, Toby, Toby Rudolph played well, and you know what? Who I really like the look of beyond Diodo. I like him. Good little hooker. He's got a great name. You just like but... his name. You just like his name. I know the way your mind thinks. You just go, yeah, that's a good name. It's odd. It's different. A real attack-minded player. He's always looking to attack, and he, he adds a bit of spark from dummy half. But 
the Sharks, a little bit too much firepower and a good win. Great. All right, well, shall we move on to our round 20 preview? That brings us to the close of round 19. Let's move to our round 20 preview. First up, we've got the Easts, Eastern Suburbs Roosters against the Parramatta Eels. The Eels are actually favourites at $1.55, and Easts are $2.45 outsiders and have four and a half points start. What do you think about this game? I'm tipping the Roosters. I thought the Eels were quite disappointing. I thought they missed Mitchell Moses immensely. Like I said, people like to slag him off, but I think they lack directness in attack, and there's too much reliance on Gutherson at the moment. And I just think they really struggled to score against the Raiders. I think they struggled, and I don't think the Roosters will let them score any easy points. And I just wonder what version of the Eels will turn up. If they play the way they did against the Raiders, I think the Roosters' defense will be too strong. They're too disciplined, and they will have enough spark in attack to beat the Eels. The Eels really need to tweak their attack to challenge the Roosters. And I don't I don't know if Brad Arthur's going to do that. In every big game, I've found he's always been concerned. give you a little secret about the Roosters that hasn't existed this year. They, their defense hasn't been the same defense as when they went back-to-back. No, it's not, because they're missing a few too many players. But I still think they're too disciplined for... I'm leaning towards the Eels, but I haven't made my mind up on this game. I'm tipping yet. the Roosters, but I... I want to see the Eels challenge them. If they're just going to play this Your tipping football, this year has been horrific, by the way. You're 21 points behind me in the tipping club. Well, that's okay. I'm tipping the Roosters. I'll catch you this week. Really? Really? I'm at 123. You're on 100. And, or, um, yeah, no, you're at 22 points. 123 and you're I on 101. I two weeks. But yeah, so. No pathetic excuses. Low pan style, mate. All right, let's move on to the next game, which is the Friday night game. Early kickoff is the Tigers versus the Warriors. The Tigers are $1.80. Warriors are $2. Um, Warriors have a point and a half start. I think the Tigers are going to win this. After slagging the Tigers off for the last 20 minutes. Yeah, but they were spirited, and this isn't manly they're playing. Here's the thing. I don't think the same issue. I say this every week with the Warriors. I'm not to be in the Warriors because they basically don't have the guts to try and attack um, play attacking football and use their talent. And I just think the Tigers will score enough points to beat them. And I think their defense will hold out the Warriors because the Warriors don't really throw anything at any defense. So they're not going to create danger for the Tigers where their weaknesses are on the fringes. So I expect the Tigers to win this game. I think we'll be quite comfortable. I don't think they'll flog them, but I don't think it's going to be a you know one of those tight games where you're not quite sure who's going to win. I think the Tigers will be in control for a majority of the game. Okay, let's move on to the Channel Nine game, which is the Broncos versus the Cowboys. The Broncos are a dollar eighty-five favorites. The Cowboys are a dollar ninety-five outsiders. The Cowboys have one and a half point start. I am going to tip the Broncos. I think the Broncos have shown enough for me, and I think the Cowboys are in a downward trend rather than an upwards. I think I agree with you. No, no Hammer, no Val Holmes. I think with no hammer, no Val Holmes, I think the Cowboys gave a spirited performance against the Storm. But then I also think they managed to only score really two tries. I think the Broncos have got enough to beat them. The Broncos, I'm like you, have been playing a lot better. And the Cowboys are two wins outside the eight now. So, I mean, that's the only thing that I might... Um, you know, there's some tough games to call this week, right? This is, this is a tough round. I'm tipping the Broncos because I think another week, another settled back line, I, I think they'll put some points on the Cowboys this week. And in the forwards, look, the Cowboys' weakness at times has been their mobility. And at times, that's been the Broncos' weakness. They, they basically cancel each other out. So I'm, I'm tipping the Broncos because I think their back line is, is a lot better than the Cowboys. All right, let's move on to shitty Saturday. It is shitty Saturday. First up, we've got Saints versus Souths. Um, Saints are $6.50 outsiders. At, Souths are $1.12 favourites. And Saints have 19.5 points start. I cannot see Souths losing this game. Souths will not lose this game. It's really a matter of how much they win by and I don't mean flogging it's whether Souths does one of their 
training runs and sort of wins by 16 or 12, or South goes all out and blitzes them and beats the Dragons by 30. Like the Dragons just simply don't can't score enough points to, to be in this game. The Rabbitohs are scoring points like a running tap at the moment. They're just The points are just flowing every week pretty easily. So Cody Walker, the Trolls back another week. I just... I can't see the the Rabbitohs scoring less than forty. Can you? No, I think they'll do it in a canter. I don't know whether it'll be twenty points, but but I, I think they'll at least get to 30, 36 points. That's the thing. I can't see him scoring any less than six or seven tries, and I just don't think the Dragons have only got you know by the look of it, two or three tries in them at most. That's right. Although I, th- I do think Ben Hunt's been playing well, but it's just he has, one guy, but right? One guy. Uh, can I just also say Jack DeBellin should have stayed under the bed. Well. It's just, look, it's hard. He's come in. like he's, He looks the part. He's been training and all the rest of it, but he's well off the pace at the moment. He is. I think with Jack DeBellin, you're going to have to wait till next year. He's, They're playing him as a prop. Yeah, I think that's his position now. He, he He's yeah. more a prop than a he's mobile, a... Yeah. A more mobile prop. Mobile ball yeah. playing prop. All right. Well, the middle game is the Knights versus the Raiders. Yep. Um, the Knights are $2.15 outsiders. Raiders are $1.71 favourites. The Knights have a two-and-a-half-point start. I am leaning, if Mitchell Pierce is back and Kalen Pong is in the side, I am leaning towards the Knights. And the reason I'm leaning in that direction is with those two back, I think they'll be able to put some points on. And the, the Raiders win games by through their defence at the moment, not through their attack. So Kalen Ponga could tear them apart in attack, but he needs people to help him and that's why Mitchell Pierce is important too so you know and they were they were in the game against the Roosters for long periods so I, I actually think the Knights might get this if Mitch Pierce is playing and David Clem has worked out his washing machine issues <laughs> so if the Knights have got clean jerseys um, the Knights are win. Unfortunately, I agree with you this week. I think... Oh, get on the Raiders then. Get on the Raiders, yeah, um, absolutely. Look, the Raiders have been playing a lot better. I think if we Pierce and Ponga back in a, a, in a settled back line, the Knights have got you know a, a lot of spark when Ponga and Pierce are playing in attack and they can, they can score points. They've just had too many players out. So if Pierce plays, I probably will tip the Knights. But this one is also a very close game. I think it's hard. It's a hard one to pick because the Raiders have a few hard ones. Have played much, much better in the last three weeks, and they've you know they've won three in a row. So they're on a little bit of a roll at the moment. The Raiders. So this is a tough one. Very hard game. It is a tough game to call. The Knights really need to win this if they want to make the eight, though. Yes, this is a desperate game for the Knights. So they they they, they, they got to be motivated, right? Because then if they lose this, the Knights fall. Really, they fall two wins outside of the eight. It becomes hard then. The thing is, if you've got dirty undies, can you actually play a good game, or are you, are you, are you focused on the lack of cleanliness? So no, I think I think you play a better game with dirty clothes okay. because All because right. when people go to tackle you and they have to smell oh, it, it would okay. be great. All right, well maybe the knights have got this. All. If the washing machine woes continue, tip the knights. Now, in the greatest fu game to Channel Nine is up next, which is the game of the season. <laughs> yes. Because Channel Nine start covering Saturday nights from round twenty-one. So this game, if this game was played a week later, it'd be on free to air on Channel Nine. But but because they've signed this long-term extension with Fox and not with Channel Nine, they've scheduled this game the week before the rights for the Saturday night games, which is the Channel Nine. So it's the It was a random draw. The, it was a random draw. <laughs> a random so draw. it's the storm. Stop. It's Peter Volandi's going, thou shall say F you too. You know, ordinarily I wouldn't think that, but with Peter V, even though, you know, I do like a lot of the stuff he's done, 
It wouldn't surprise me either. Absolutely, absolutely. Rugby league. Storm, Storm versus the Panthers. Storm are dollar thirty-one favourites. Panthers are three dollars fifty outsiders and have a ten-point start. I don't think the ten points are going to be enough. I think I think they'll do it, and I think they'll I think the Storm will do it, and I think they'll do it by more than ten. This is one of the easier games to pick for me. Oh, it is for me. I'm tipping the Storm, and I think the Storm are going to touch up the Panthers this week. I think the Panthers will hang in at the beginning, and I just think the Storm will have too much in attack. If the, if the Storm touch up the Panthers, oh, I, I, they'll they could they run the risk if that does happen. Uh, they could go through the season untouched. I think it's a statement game for the Storm, and I could be wrong, but I think Craig Bellamy is also one of those guys that psychologically, if they put their foot on the throat of the Panthers, I think that's a bit of a blow because conf- you know your confidence drops when you play each other the next time, especially when they are missing Cleary. But you know you beat him by forty, you can still beat them at an, in a later date. But psychologically, that's a big statement. So I'm expecting the Storm to a full 80-minute performance together, and I think they'll be way too strong for the Panthers. I really do. I thought the Panthers were sensational earlier in the season. The Storm weren't quite there, and the Storm still nearly beat them at home in front of a packed Penrith Stadium. So I just think the Storm will, will blow them away, and they've got a far more settled team now. Can't believe I'm agreeing with you. All right, let's move on to the Sunday games, which is um, first up is the Dogs versus the Titans. Dogs are $3.75 outsiders. Titans are $1.28. Dogs have 11.5 points start. I think the Titans have been playing really well, and um, so I, I'm leaning towards the Titans in this game. Although I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think this will be tight, quite a tight game. You guys have been a bit more spiritual. This is also. But this my is, worry is, are you guys are you guys doing the Dean Pay thing and just playing well towards the end of the season again? It's possible, but I also sense there's a there's a, been a slight tweak in tactics a little bit by Trent Barrett in attack. Anyway, despite them playing better, there also has been a little bit of a switch in game plan. I think there's a little bit more depth in the attack. Um, although at times the dogs still sort of stand around and watch somebody trying to beat three tackles off a standing start. But there is a possibility also that now you've got nothing to play for. You're, you, you play with a little bit more freedom uh, mentally. So, But nevertheless, the Titans' weakness we know is their defense. I don't think the Bulldogs have got the attack or the mentality to take advantage of that. And the Bulldogs' defense... Whilst it's improved, as you can see against the Sharks, it's still susceptible to teams that really try to, to go at it. It's susceptible to teams that can pass that turn up and That turn up on, the, on, on match day. And run. Um, yes. That's so, right. That's right. <laughs> have you got two legs and can run forwards? They're very susceptible. Well, and well that's think, the way through the dog's defense. So the Titans, I think, will have too much in attack, and I'm tipping them. I don't think they'll flog them, but I think it'll be, you know, I think anywhere between 10 to 16, I think the Titans will win this game by. Yeah, okay. All right, and the last game of the round is the Sharks versus Manly. Manly are $1.23 favourites. Sharks are $4 outsiders. Sharks have 13.5 points start. I think Manly will do this comfortably. The Sharks, despite when they're switched on and play well, they, they look fairly solid. I think they've got a few too many weaknesses for Manly's attack, to hold Manly's attack. In defence, I thought the Dogs showed up some of their lack of mobility at times with some of their players that get a bit tired and they leave a few gaps on the fringe or on the um or in the middle of the field. And I think the Seagulls will take advantage of that. You know, we don't have Tommy Turbo. We don't have Jason Saab on the wing or um, players, you know, like Morgan Harper who can cut back in and, and beat some of the players and set up his outside guys. So I think the Seagulls will be a little bit too strong for the Sharks, have too much firepower, unless the Sharks play probably the best game they have in a while. They've been hot and cold during games, and they've won some and lost some, but also lost games they really should have won if they were consistent for the 80 minutes. So they've got it in them, but I don't 
don't think they're they're quite there yet. And missing Sean Johnson, who's been really sort of started to play a lot better, is going to hamper their attack. And I just don't think they'll score enough points to beat the Seagulls. Really, I think the Seagulls will probably at least score what t five tries. Yeah, I just, I just, I just can't see them losing. I, I'm the, the Sharks have been winning, but they haven't looked. They haven't played well. Like this win against the. Bulldogs didn't impress me at all. I mean, the game was, uh, to be frank, the game was won and lost in the 10 minutes Luke Thompson was off the field. Luke Luke Thompson doesn't get Sinbin. You might win that game today. I thought the Sharks have been impressive for tiny bursts in games, but then they fall away at others and look a bit hapless. So uh, I think the Seagulls, I think Jesse Ramian can get found out. He, he can hit hard in defence and at times make some big plays, but he's also... Yeah, yeah, I agree with he's that. He's got a big, I agree big turning circle, right? So sometimes if the Seagulls target his side with Turbo and Brad Parker and Garrick, I think they they can you know score a few points down that side against the Sharks. And Connor Tracy, if he's in the centres again, you know, first year, shuffled everywhere. At times, defensively, he makes the wrong reads, which is to be expected, really. So playing against Harper and Saab, they might be able to catch him out as well. So, And forward-wise, the Seagulls have got the power to match the Sharks' power too. So I don't think the Sharks can get over them in the forwards either. So Seagulls for me. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that brings us to the close of another G&T show this week. Um, stay away from rallies, G. Freedom rallies. And don't punch any animals this week. Next time I'll be the person riding the horse in the middle of the riot. Excellent. So thank you for joining us and thank you once again, G. See you later, and to everyone locked down at home, stay safe, and hopefully um, we get out of this fairly soon. See you next week. Yeah, Christmas, hopefully, after the Rugby League World Cup. See you next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye.